Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, so today we're going to head out to Arkansas and explore a mysterious ghost light that locals say have been appearing around some old train tracks for almost a century. But before we do that, let's do a little bit of housekeeping here. Last weekend, we had our very first live event down here in Franklin, Tennessee, and man, it was a blast. The weather couldn't have been any better, and it was so much fun getting to chat with people about their favorite episodes, stories that they have personal connections to, suggestions for future episodes, the whole deal. It was absolutely wonderful. So thank you to everyone who came out to see me, and I hope we'll do some more events in the future. So thanks again for coming out. Now, I also want to congratulate our newsletter subscriber, Anna Bryany, for winning a signed copy of The Feminine Macabre Volume 3. So, if any of y'all were waiting to buy one because you were hoping you'd get my sister's autograph, well, just head over to Amazon and get it now because, honestly, Brienne still hasn't even sent me a free one. So, congratulations, Anna, and thanks for listening. Now, if you still really want a signed copy, Brienne and I both are going to be at the Haunted America Conference on June 24th and 25th. Now, it is already sold out, but we're considering doing some type of meet and greet in the St. Louis area on the night of the 25th. So if you're interested and would consider maybe coming out, please head over to the live events page on our website and sign up with your email so that we can gauge how many folks would attend and if it's even worth setting up. Now, I don't have any specifics on this yet, where, when, or how, but if enough people are interested, We'll definitely make it happen. We will be at that conference on both Friday and Saturday. And if you do happen to have tickets to it, please come by and see us. 
get Brianna to sign a book for you. We'll have some there. So without further ado, I think it's time to head on over to Arkansas and explore the mystery of the Gurdon Light. About 85 miles south of Little Rock, Arkansas, just off Interstate 30, is the small city of Gurdon. The area was first settled in 1819, but after the Cairo and Fulton Railroad was constructed in 1874, an influx of people arrived and a town centered around the timber industry was born. By 1880, Gurdon was officially incorporated in Clark County, and over the following decades, the town grew. But after years of profitability, the onset of the Great Depression and the decline of railroad travel, the Arkansas community seemed doomed to end up nothing more than an old, forgotten timber town. But Gurdon is unique, for it's the birthplace of the, quote, oldest industrial fraternal organization in the nation, the International Concatenated Order of the Hoo-Hoo. One chilly day in January of 1892, several men from various parts of the lumber industry found fellowship with each other while stuck waiting for a delayed train. Their conversations grew, and the order was born with the belief that, quote, competitors are better thought of as colleagues and friends, where your word is your bond, your handshake is a promise, and face-to-face meetings have deep value. Of course, the hoo-hoo's traditions are somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but the social organization has survived to this very day, and their international office and museum is now located right there on Main Street in Gurdon, Arkansas. Gurdon's long history with the railroad isn't all upbeat. According to local lore, the soul of a man who was murdered here in 1931 may in fact still remain to this day, as many residents claim that he continues to restlessly wander the old tracks, purportedly in the guise of a ghost light that is now considered one of Arkansas's most well-known paranormal mysteries. My name is Brandon Schecksnyder, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. For almost a hundred years, an unexplained luminous apparition has purportedly appeared to hundreds of individuals 
in a remote area several miles outside of Gurdon, Arkansas. Yearly, these accounts have all taken place along a four-mile stretch of track for the Missouri Pacific Railroad. And according to locals, they continue on to this very day, over and over again, without fail. It is known as the Gurdon Light. Some who've seen it say the light has a blue-white hue. Others, that it has a slight orange or yellowish appearance with a distinct border. But almost every single witness of the phenomenon agrees that the mysterious light floats between one and three feet in the air, slowly moving through the trees and along the train tracks, sometimes swaying back and forth, back and forth in a rhythmic motion. Often, witnesses say that the light is spotted for a mere moment before vanishing, only to reappear again behind them and move forward, seemingly chasing the onlookers away. In 1975, newspaper columnist Brad Bailey wrote of a trip he took to Gurdon in the November 12th issue of the Hope Star. He wrote, in Gurdon, I was told by several people that the chances of sighting the ghost were about 100% if one traveled the track at night. The light is said to be so easily observable that area people turn out by the dozens every week to observe the phenomenon. Of the 10 or 15 people I talked to on the subject, only one was found who did not claim to have seen it at least once. All the rest were able to go into detail about it. From the consensus, the light hovers over the track on dark nights disappearing, then reappearing behind observers. It is white and looks pretty much like a flashlight, some say. Others hold that it looks more like a gaslight. One fellow said it is white at first, and then bloody red. By the time of Bailey's article, numerous attempts had been made to capture the light. However, no real evidence has ever been obtained by either cameras or video. Then, on December 9th, 1994, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries aired with images that they claimed to have been evidence of the Gurdon light. This time-lapse photograph was taken in November by an Unsolved Mysteries photographer. It is apparently the first time that the strange phenomenon, known locally as the Gurdon light, has been captured on film. A few days later, the photographer returned to the railroad tracks waited till nightfall and recorded this mysterious light. The photograph and video are incredibly eerie, and without a doubt they've captured some type of light phenomenon, yet they do little to help explain the mystery as to what this ghost light actually is and from where it came. However, locals have an explanation of their own. They believe that the light is the apparition of an old railroad foreman who was viciously murdered here and has never left. On the morning of December 4th, 1931, the wife of railroad foreman William McLean 
alerted the garden marshal that her husband had not returned home from work the night before. She was concerned, for it was not like William to not come home. McLean worked for the Missouri Pacific Railroad, and inquiries into his whereabouts soon indicated that he hadn't been seen since he got to work the night before. Soon enough, the local marshal brought a man by the name of Louis McBride in for questioning. McBride was a longtime resident of Gurdon, and he worked as a member of the section crew under McLean's supervision. But suspicion began to fall on him as folks started to notice he had been acting quite strange since the foreman's disappearance. Sure enough, McBride folded rather quickly under intense questioning, admitting that he'd in fact murdered his supervisor and informing the marshal of where William McLean's body could be found. With the confession in hand, the authorities rushed to the site and found a grisly scene. At the end of a trail of blood, roughly a quarter mile long, stretching from the railroad tracks and into the swampy woods, William McLean's corpse lay lifeless the result of four vicious blows to the head. Tragically, it seemed as though McLean actually survived the initial attack and attempted to get help by crawling his way through the woods towards town. But eventually, he succumbed to his wounds. A bloody spike maul and shovel were found nearby, and not long after, Louis McBride was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. He was executed by the electric chair on July 8, 1932, at the Little Rock Penitentiary. In spite of McBride's confession to the murder, the reason why he killed his supervisor is still unclear. The day after McBride's execution, an article in the Arkansas Gazette claimed that the violence was the result of a quote, argument over McBride's seniority rights as a laborer for the Missouri Pacific Lines. And it's said that when the police questioned him, McBride claimed that he beat McLean because he had been denied seniority during recent layoffs. Although, it's unclear if the laborer had been formally fired from his position or was just not given the opportunity to take over the work that was open following the layoffs. On the other hand, some retellings of McLean's murder claim that perhaps McBride had felt cheated out of the allotment of days he was allowed to work, as they were in fact in the midst of the Great Depression, when work was scarce. Either way, there was likely nothing William McLean could have done. The railroad, like everything else, just did not have the funds. But McBride killed him anyway. but there's one more possible cause that folks have speculated on for William McLean's murder. On December 3rd, 1931, the day before McLean's death, a freight train with 14 cars derailed just south of Gurdon, Arkansas. Upon examination of the site, railroad officials discovered that the tracks had been tampered with and believed that the damage was intended to derail a passenger train known as the Sunshine Special, which regularly traveled at speeds between 60 and 70 miles per hour. If the freight train had not derailed and the track sabotage had not been discovered, 
the derailment of a passenger train would have had a deadly outcome. As a result, the timing of the sabotage followed by the murder of William McLean has led some to suspect, including the police in 1931, that perhaps Louis McBride was responsible for the damage to the railroad tracks as well. Of course, this has never been proven. Nevertheless, some cite this incident as the catalyst for the fight that ended with McLean's death, believing that the foreman may have either been aware of Louis McBride's guilt or merely suspected it, and upon confrontation, he was murdered. The murder of William McLean caused quite the sensation in the relatively small and peaceful town of Gurdon, Arkansas. But it wasn't long after that stories began to circulate about the mysterious apparition hovering above the tracks at night, the place where William McLean took his final breath. So folks soon began to wonder if this strange light might in fact be the foreman himself, still walking his nightly route, guided by his outstretched lantern. After all, some legends do say that he died with his lantern still clenched tightly in his hand. Could this truly be the origin of the Gurdon ghost light? Or is it merely local lore that has tied together this almost century-old tragedy with a seemingly unexplainable but otherwise natural phenomenon. We'll explore some of the scientific theories behind the light and more after the break. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. 
The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Gurdon Light is one of Arkansas's most famed paranormal phenomenon. And following its appearance on Unsolved Mysteries in 1994, it's attracted the attention of more than just the locals. As a result, numerous theories have been posited to explain the occurrence. And while none seem to provide a definitive answer, many do have a firm footing in scientific research. Perhaps the most obvious, but quickly debunked theory is that the orb is simply the reflection of headlights from cars as they travel along Interstate 30. But the problem with this hypothesis is that if the light was indeed first seen in the 1930s, it predates the modern interstate, which was constructed in the 70s. In addition, the location where the light is seen most frequently is several miles away from the interstate, with a hill situated between them. Attempts have been made to test this idea though, but in reality, the frequency and duration of the ghost light's appearance does not align with the amount of traffic passing Gurdon. Another theory links the ghost light's origins to the railroad, but not in the historical sense like local lore suggests. Instead, it is believed that the light may be caused by something called the piezoelectric effect. This natural occurrence comes from, quote, the ability of certain materials to generate an electric charge in response to applied mechanical stress. The result is a shifting of the positive and negative charge centers, thus producing an external electrical field. One such material that experiments have shown accumulates charges in this way is quartz crystal, a rock commonly found in the Earth's crust. When under such stress, these crystals can glow from the increased electric charge, an effect that may seem otherworldly. Some say this is what occurs in Gurdon, as trains travel over the stretch of old railroad track, resulting in the infamous ghost light. This particular theory is supported even further by the fact that both the city and its surrounding area are located on the tip of the New Madrid seismic zone. Yet in spite of this hypothesis being rooted in science, it cannot be definitively confirmed. As attempts to study the Gurdon light using instruments that detect electric current have all failed, resulting in inconsistent evidence that the electric current necessary to create the light exists when the light appears. The final theory 
as to the light's origin is perhaps the most unsurprising given that the Gurdon light has been described as a floating orb. This theory suggests that it's the result of the same conditions that are said to create other mystery lights all over the world. Lights like the well-known Will-o'-the-Wisp. We describe the origins of this folkloric yet natural occurrence in our episode, The Mischievous Fifillet, which explored a similar phenomenon deep in the swamps of Louisiana. Translated from the medieval Latin term ignis fatuus, or fool's fire, the will-o'-the-wisp can be found in ancient folklore all across the world, from Europe to Asia, the Americas, and even Australia. Each culture has its own variations on the mythology of the phenomenon, but most are similar to those found in Acadiana, maintaining that these seemingly supernatural phosphorescent lights appear as flickering lamps to mislead travelers into treacherous terrain. As a result of this widespread belief, references to the entities can be found in numerous works of classic literature, from John Milton's Paradise Lost to Bram Stoker's Dracula and even The Lord of the Rings. But while these tales all claim that the Will of the Wisp is a supernatural entity, modern science provides a trustworthy explanation as to the real origins of this fiery spirit, contending that these phosphorescent lights are nothing more than a mixture of gases found in marshes, swamps, and cemeteries, which spontaneously combust in the presence of oxygen. These gases, including methane, carbon dioxide, and numerous compounds containing phosphine, are produced in the soil by decaying organic matter. While the Gurdon light certainly seems to have attributes similar to the will of the wisp of traditional folklore and literature, the most persistent argument against the ghost light actually being one is that the Gurdon light is said to have been both spotted and maintained its shape during all seasons of the year and through all types of weather conditions. Even during the cooler winter months or in the rain, when the combustion of swamp gases and decaying matter are certainly less likely to occur. Either way, it seems that science has yet to pin down a definitive explanation for this mysterious phenomenon. And until it does, we are all left to wonder if the Gurdon Light may in fact be the apparition of the old railroad foreman continuing to wander, lantern in hand. It is generally accepted that the Gurdon Light's infamy began following William Clayton's death in 1931. But if any of these sightings were reported in the local newspapers, they're not currently available to confirm the claim. The earliest locatable newspaper reference that we could find in digital format was Brad Bailey's 1975 personal account in the Hope Star. However, he writes that he originally heard about the orb in quote, an article from a back issue of the Texarkana Gazette. Of 
course, this timeline, or lack of earlier publications, doesn't necessarily negate the claim, as it certainly would have taken time for this piece of local lore to be cemented in the community prior to its first appearance in print. But cemented in the community is certainly what has happened to the mysterious phenomenon. Because as local Mary C. Burns claims on Unsolved Mysteries in 1994, the whole town has seen it at some point in time, and it's not a figment of anybody's imagination. It does exist. It is there. What is it? That's the question. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. This month, we'd like to thank our most recent Patreon supporters, Late Wall, Samuel Rahonek, Marcia Sanders, Jill Sargent, Karen Ligon, and Aaron Riley. If you're interested in joining us and receiving additional content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast.